It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Welcome to the Be The People Show. Today, there are many conservatives and Christians who are disillusioned by the times that we're living in. For most of America's history, Christians have been the dominant group in America We've been able to communicate, to, to take certain things for granted when it came to a shared understanding of our nation, its Judeo-Christian roots, our constitution, the rule of law, and how elections should operate. The 2020 elections has thrown everything we thought we knew in flux. And so these are times where we have ups and downs we're discouraged. We always know that we can put our trust in God. And now is the time that we move from an intellectual Christianity where we know uh, intellectually, we know from the scriptures that we should always trust God. But when we look at the forces that seem to be pressing in on us, as well as the fact that we see so many injustices at the same time, there's a movement out there that talks about social justice, but the social justice they push seems like injustice to a lot of us because we find ourselves oppressed. Joining me today to make sense of our world is someone that's new to be the people. It's Alex McFarlane. He's a Christian apologist, author, evangelist, religion and cultural analyst, and he's an advocate for biblical truth. He's preached in over 2,000 churches throughout North America, and he's the author of a book, The Assault on America, and this is one of several books. And so I welcome Alex McFarlane to the Be The People show. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Swain. It's a great honor to be on with you. I, I appreciate all that you say and the way you communicate, and thank you for having me today. Well, I mean, we are all searching for answers. And as we're talking, there's so much confusion around the 2020 election, and many Christians, uh, and I'm among them, we feel like um, we're always on the losing side when it comes to uh, the politics, we see the injustices and the corruption in Washington, and we uh, watch the investigations. We're waiting for people to get indicted that never get indicted. And with this presidential election, there is a sense, and as we're talking, it, it's still unsettled, but not in the minds of many people, uh, because we, at this time, we, were, we are referring to President Biden as president-elect. And so regardless of how the uh, various court cases turn out, this is a troubling time in America because we've seen law and order, everything turned upside down. How shall we live? I think that was Chuck Colson's question, yeah, the title of a book, How Shall We Live? But what can you say to us at this time when all of these forces are closing in on every one of us and no matter how strong our faith is, we're being challenged. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, your show is so timely, and you are courageous, and I think very wise to address many of the issues that you address. And let's just begin our conversation by talking about the election right now. And um, in sales, in sales, there's something called a presumptive close. A closing is how you seal the deal, the salesperson and the customer. And uh, ideally, the customer says, I'm ready to buy. How do I buy this thing? But the salesperson can pressure the customer. If the customer hasn't decided, the presumptive close is to just cut to the chase. And the salesman says, well, I'm glad I'm glad you came here today to buy the car. And the customer is like, well, whoa, whoa, I'm just looking. I'm not ready to buy. But the salesperson doesn't even respond. The salesperson says, well, let's go on over here and we'll fill out these papers. Boy, you've made the right choice. And the customer says, "Uh, I'm just looking. In a presumptive close, the salesperson totally ignores the objections and just gets right down to the paperwork. And that's what we're watching, Dr. Swain. Um, The the media is saying President-elect Joe Biden. The media is saying the cabinet will do this. The cabinet members are that. And I assure you and all of your fine viewers that the election uh, is not over. And and really, let me say this, and, and God knows my heart, this is... I'm speaking for myself as a Christian, as a minister, as an academic, and yes, as as a, a voter. My hand to God, this is not about Donald Trump. Uh, if If he lost fair and square, fine. He lost fair and square. This is about the integrity of the elections, and do we have a country? Uh, Dr. Swain, let me just say this. I was on a number of radio shows last week, and Tuesday a week ago, a week, uh, a week from uh, tomorrow, I was on a program, and we had four callers in rapid succession. We, we had a gentleman from Mexico, we had a lady from Colombia, a lady from the Philippines, and a lady from Venezuela. And all four of these callers, one right after the other, they, they said, I came to America to escape socialism. I came to America to get away from rigged elections. And this one particular lady, she was from Venezuela. She began to weep on the radio. And she said this, and I quote, she said, I feel like I'm in a nightmare. We spent years, my family, everything we had, we gave up to come to America to get away from socialism, to get away from dishonest politicians and rigged elections. And she said, I feel like I'm, I'm back in Venezuela. Now, this is not about Democrat or Republican. This is about, are we going to have an America that is an honest, forthright, stable America where, where we can, as a citizen in good faith, cast a vote and we know in our soul that it was honestly tabulated. And, and I, I'm just going to say it, and I would be happy to discuss this with anyone who wants to contest it. Uh, our history is a Judeo-Christian history. Our, our political parties have been, they've disagreed on things, 
but heretofore, Democrat and Republican have basically still at the bottom of the page, they've been for America. The Democrat Party of 2020 is not for the United States of America. And I'm, I'm, I'm gravely concerned about that. I am concerned as well. And there's so much confusion. And we do uh, seem to have rigged elections. But my question to you, in a society like America, even back in 2012, 78% of Americans professed to be Christians. Of course, they were not uh, living, um, it was 20, um, I think it was, my data was 20, uh, 2009. 78% of Americans were professing to be Christians. That number has dwindled. But in a society where there's so much secular humanism, and then people from other countries, uh, different values, they don't share our culture. Uh, we are living through this era of identity politics. Can you get back to the place where people care about, you know, the integrity of elections, morality, the sanctity of human life, uh, some of those principles that we as Christians take for granted? Well, you know, uh, you mentioned Chuck Colson. He was a great uh, Christian thinker. He found Christ in, in jail in the aftermath of Watergate, and he spent the next 40 years of his life being uh, a great uh, leader for the gospel. Colson was a friend of ours, and he spoke for us numerous times in our conferences. And Dr. Colson said that the church is the conscience of the culture. Um, you know, there's, there's a phrase in many disciplines, the first line of defense. Uh, in your computer, your firewall is the first line of defense against viruses. Uh, in your car, right after the fuel tank, you've got the fuel filter. And so dirt and debris doesn't trap in your, in your gas line. The fuel filter is your first line of defense. And in our, in our health against you know, catching a cold or something, our immunities and our antibodies are the first line of defense. I would submit, Dr. Swain, that in a culture, the first line of defense against secularism, darkness, sin, uh, just chaos, the first line of defense is the church. The, the people that know the true and living God, the ministers that uh, get in their pulpit and preach the word of God. And part of the reason we're where we are is that for 40 years, the, the first line of defense has been breaking down. Uh, I believe in the ministry, and I've pastored two churches and spoken in 2300. But, but I would say this, uh, if the church in America were really where she's supposed to be, uh, we would have pulpits proclaiming righteousness, calling sinners to repentance. Um, uh, Alex, when did we take the wrong turn? turn in our country. Can you pinpoint when the churches got off base? Uh, you know, it, it began about 60 years ago in, in the immediate aftermath of World War II. It was kind of a, a very prosperous era back in the Eisenhower years. And there, there were some names that people might remember, like Norman Vincent Peale and Harry yes. Emerson Fosdick. And there was a rhyme uh, that comes really from the 30s, but it said, every day in every way, man is getting better and better. I remember hearing that. <laughs> yeah. 
And look, I mean, hey, you you're gonna say that's a lie from the pit of hell, right? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, hey, we're every day in every way we're getting better and better if we're in Jesus and right. we're being daily conformed to the image of Christ. But let me say this: there's no way that man can usher in utopia. I, I would say, Doctor Swain, that. A lot of where we are is due to the philosophies of the 1960s. Um, the Beatles sang, all you need is love. And uh, come on, people now, you know, everybody get together, try to love one another. Now, love, love, peace, rock and roll. I mean, that was the, the, the mantra of the Woodstock generation. But the fact is that without moral boundaries, any society becomes anarchy. And, and really without an ultimate reason to love, which is the Lord. I mean, love in the heart of a fallen sinner becomes exploitation and selfishness and opportunism. So, so I would say really the theological liberalism and the utopianism that began to infect the, the churches and the classrooms really beginning in the early 60s, we're feeling the ripple effects of all that even to this day. And I'm sure you're familiar with critical race theory and, and not just critical race theory as a part of critical theory. There are many different critical theories, but just how the cultural Marxists, now if you Google cultural Marxists, you get all of these uh, articles that say that it's no such, there's no such thing as cultural Marxism, that the right wing created it, but we do know that cultural Marxism it came out of economic Marxism when Karl Marx's followers uh, didn't uh, see the manifestation of his revolution. They started looking at the culture and they set their sights on changing the culture from within. When I look at what's happened to, happened to America when it comes to women and the family and blacks and other racial and ethnic minorities, that was part of the vision of cultural Marxists to use the suffering of people, groups that they considered marginalized as a way to destroy the culture. You're right. And, and, and what they've done, the opportunity that they've, they've seized is to uh, exploit people's sense of having been victimized. Now, let, let me just say for the record, just mark it down. Slavery is wrong. I, I would cry to the ears of God himself asking uh, that slavery never happened in America. Uh, would to God that that had never taken place. And I'm sorry that it did. But okay. <laughs> I, I just want to interject for a second and then hopefully you can get back to where you were. When I look at slavery and divine providence, uh, me as a descendant of, of, of black slaves, that was the vehicle, you know, that my ancestors used to come to America. Blacks in America are better off than blacks any place in the world. And I have, uh, you know, Caucasian blood. I'm a blend of other nationalities. I certain would, certainly would not exist as the person I am today had not those forces taken place. Wow. Do you know that that's such a, a positive way to look at things? Because, you know, in, in Psalm 16, there's a very interesting passage in, in Psalms chapter 16. It, 
Fascinating. It says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a godly heritage. So I did a study on that. I thought, wonder what that could mean. And it, it literally means the boundary lines of my life. God in his sovereignty allowed the boundary lines of, of who we are, where we were born, who our parents were. And I honestly believe, Carol, um, God lays out our life in the ways that makes it most conducive for us to come to Jesus. Uh, he doesn't override our free will. We still have to choose. We hear the, the call and we have to respond. But like Psalm 16, the boundary lines of our life, they are what we are. I mean, they are what they are. And, and your take on it is very refreshing. You know, one thing I've said when I speak at universities and instantly the professors and the students See, 20 years ago, I would speak at colleges, and, and if I said anything even remotely positive about America, the professors would quickly say, oh, slavery is bad, colonial <laughs> America was racist, you know, America, boo. And nowadays, the students say it, oh my goodness. I mean, I, I've spoken at universities, Carol, and students come to the mic and they go, you know, F America, blank. I mean, kids hate America. It's like they've been coached to do it. And so I ask this, I'll say, you know, slavery was bad. I wish, I wish before God that it had never happened, but it did. But here's what I would ask, two questions. One, what other nation in all of world history fought an in internal civil war with itself to get slavery ended and to get us to the true foundation of our moral principles and the answer is only one america the other thing that i would ask is from you know the late 1600s to 1787 when we wrote the constitution other than the fledgling usa the colonies where else in the world could you have gone where all humans would be guaranteed civil rights and the answer is nowhere well, I, as a person that was born in 1954, and that was the year of the Brown versus Board of Education uh, decision that desegregated schools. Yeah. I mean, I really was born into a period of systemic racism, but yeah. I watched that systemic racism crumble with the Civil Rights Acts of the 1960s. I saw opportunities open up for people like me, and I was able to attain the American dream because even despite the poverty that I grew up in, I knew at the time I was living in the greatest nation in the world. Mm. And so my uh, perspective on America is very positive and I don't mm. like what's happening with uh, the um, white people apologizing all the time. Uh, mm. With them allowing their children to be shamed and bullied uh, by the political left, and I think that that is unconstitutional. I think it runs counter to the Civil Rights Acts. And so that is very, very serious. But I think that young black people, they've never had it better, but these ideas that they need to segregate on campuses, they need their own courses, they can't uh, learn standard English or they shouldn't be forced to learn standard English, that hard work is whiteness, that getting to places mm -hmm. on time is whiteness. I mean, all of this is a regression, and it's uh, very it, dangerous. It, it is. Uh, Dr. Swain, listen to this. Uh, two weeks ago, I had dinner with a department head 
of uh, a state university in North Carolina. And this particular department head, who is a Christian and uh, a white man, he was telling me about the orientation that they went through back in August, that he and about 600 faculty members went through orientation August of 2020. And he said uh, in math, the, the math professors were told to not mark answers wrong anymore because um, this binary thing that there's wrong and there's right, there's true, there's false. See, that's heterosexist. And that because gender is not binary, neither is truth. Uh, but get this, this is gonna blow your mind. This music professor got up and told all of this music department, this is in my, my home state of North Carolina, one of the state supported universities. The music professors were told to no longer require the string students, the violinists to tune their instruments. And, and he said, and I quote, music theory is a form of white supremacy. I mean, Everything's white supremacy these days, and uh, it's disgusting, and I think we need to stand up to it. And I also believe that we are at a point in history where only, uh, not because this is right, but white people, I argue, have allowed themselves to be silenced, and it's up to people like me to stand up and fight for the values and, so, and also the civil rights for every American, because we find ourselves at a time where people feel that they cannot speak for themselves or they choose exactly. not to. Um, you know, it's been my privilege to visit many of the sites where Dr. King and uh, Fred Shuttlesworth marched. And let me say, I, I, think, I think Dr. King and the leaders of the civil rights movement of the, the 50s and 60s, I think they would be very distraught about where social justice is today and where our culture is, uh, I think we're, we're, I'm gonna say it, more racist uh, and less free than we were. I agree uh, with you 100%. And we're gonna take a break and when we return, uh, more of our discussion. Be The People is sponsored by Cooper Steel, a family-owned business that provides the steel fabrications for buildings across the Southeast. 60 years ago, Kenneth and Faye Cooper founded the company in Chevyville, Tennessee, which started as a vision is now a nationally recognized company that remains true to its founders' Judeo-Christian values and principles. Cooper Steel is committed to excellence, responsibility, and community. Its motto is build strong, stand strong. It treats its employees and customers like family. Learn more at coopersteel.com. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. This is not a fight of Republican versus Democrat. It's not a fight of rich versus poor, old versus young, man versus woman, gay versus straight. It's not a fight of black lives, blue lives, Hispanic lives, or white lives. This is a battle of good versus evil. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. But we are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. 
I'm back with my guest, Alex McFarlane, and we're talking about our society and especially uh, as it is being experienced by Christians and conservatives and just how the world seems upside down. And um, Alex, we started off the show just talking about how confusing it is and troubling for a lot of us who are Christians to see the direction our society is moving in. We talked about the church. Uh, what do you think can be done to improve the situation? Well, thanks for asking. I know this may sound simplistic, but number one, we need to pray. I mean, we, we really, really need to pray. And we need to stay informed and we need to be an influence beginning in our homes and with our children. Um, but I, I also think we've got to be uh, vocal. You're, you're doing something so cutting edge. I mean, you're doing the right thing. You're educating people, you're inspiring people. Um, I will say this, I believe in the power of truth. I mean, there's a, there's a battle, there's a struggle. The truth always does rise to the top eventually. But the question is, and this is the thing for which I pray, that um, God will bring our nation back to the truth quickly enough before it's too late for our Constitution to be saved. And Alex, when you started off, you said we need to pray. And I am big into prayer. I've seen many miracles. For some people, when you say pray, they have a vague understanding, but they don't actually get it. When you say pray, what do you mean? And I can tell you, when I pray, I try to be very specific, even though I know that I don't know everything, but I try to be very specific. So what advice would you give someone? They heard you say pray. They hear us always say pray. Well, what does pray mean? Well, well the first most uh, introductory prayer is often called the sinner's prayer. And I would just encourage your listeners, if they've never accepted Christ as their personal Savior, the first prayer, and God has promised to answer this in the affirmative, is to say, Dear Lord, please forgive my sins and save me. And if you'll open your heart to Christ today, Jesus will save you. Just say, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. And Lord, I'm putting my trust in you. And please wash my sins away. That is the most important prayer, Carol, because the, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God won't hear me. In other words, if I hold on to my sin, that's the barrier between myself and God. But in terms of praying for our culture, I, I'm with you, uh, my, my sister in Christ. I believe specific prayers get specific answers. James 4 verse 8 says, you have not because you ask not. So I would ask people to please, in great specificity, pray to God that we would be a nation of morals. Um, you know, personally, there's salvation, but culturally, part of what was the genius of America, and, it, and by the way, in 1954, Chief Justice Earl Warren was interviewed by Time Magazine, and this is a verbatim quote, Chief Justice Earl Warren, famously of the Warren Commission that investigated the shooting of President Kennedy, but Chief Justice Earl Warren said, quote, he said, no one can read the history of our our country without realizing that the good book and the spirit of the Savior have from the beginning been our guiding genius. He said, as long as we remain with these, I believe no great harm can come to us. And so I think we need to pray. 
I'm going to say it, folks. We need, we need the Lord. And I don't mean new age spirituality, and I don't mean a guru or a shaman. We need to get back to the God of the Bible. That was the God of our founders, and it needs to be our, our Lord and our uh, Savior here in 2020. And I agree with all of that. And for people that you're still not sure how to pray, well, there's the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer. And the way I have been praying uh, during this time of uncertainty about uh, the uh, election and knowing that some of these issues will go before the U.S. Supreme Court is that I call out each of the justices individually, and I pray that God would give them wisdom. I want them to have the fear of the Lord, and I want them to honor the Constitution. And so those are my prayers for them individually. And I hope even for the ones that are the most liberal on the court, that they will look at this moment, and they will look at uh, this election that we feel is a stolen election, many of us, and they will not want America to be the nation of rigged elections and that God might move on their hearts. And so I, I, I pray specifically like that. And then for our president, I have a vision for my president, uh, President Trump, is that I want him to humble himself, get down on his knees and cry out to the Lord about the injustices. And I believe God will answer his prayer. Uh, and maybe he has done that. I don't know. But that's how my prayer would be that our president would do that. Amen. I, I really do. I, I think, um, and listen, I, I've been on a couple of phone calls with the president along with several other faith leaders. And uh, I, I truly do believe that Donald Trump knows Christ. He's asked Christ to come into his life. Um, and I, look, he's, he's, he's an intelligent guy. Oh, and, I believe that, but he, we all flawed, we all flawed, right? And you know, uh, we, we all are. had those pride issues and, uh, yeah. and we all want to take credit for things that go well, but yeah. this great injustice that's been perpetrated on our nation, you know, I just think that because he is the leader, we look at those kings that cried out to the Lord when their backs were against the wall and God came through. And I yeah. think that our backs are against the wall or, against the Red Sea. They, they are. They are. Um, do you know what? Let, let me throw a phrase out here that might be new to some of your listeners. I write about this in my new book, The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. Um, it's, it's the phrase natural law. Yes. Now, that might sound kind of like cerebral and philosophical, but the founders uh, in 243 years ago, Washington, Franklin, Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, John Adams, John Quincy Adams. Uh, there was a phrase they used for morality, uh, and it was natural law. Now, Exodus 20, we know that the Jews had the Ten Commandments, the law of God. But in the New Testament, Romans 1 and 2 says the law of God is written on every heart. That even, it said, when the Gentiles who didn't have the oracles of God like the Jewish people had, but the Gentiles by nature did the things prescribed by the law. And it shows there were law written on our heart. In other words, we know we shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't commit murder. We shouldn't bear false witness. All of those ethical mandates. And what's interesting, by the way, Carol, as I'm sure you know, but it's been well-documented 
that all cultures throughout history, all civilized cultures, they knew the, the basic moral boundaries of the Ten Commandments. So even if they didn't have the scripture, my point being, George Washington would frequently talk about the laws of nature and nature's God. Now, he didn't mean that nature was a God we worship, but what he meant was there's a law written on the human heart and the God behind that law is the real God. Now, we followed natural law uh, in our government, in our legal system up until 1973. Now, one of the principles that philosophers talk about is the, the principle of teleology or design. Something is what it is. And we always believed that an unborn baby was a human being. That's why even as far back as the Old Testament, if, if a man were to hurt or murder a pregnant woman, it was a dual homicide because that baby she was carrying is a human life. All right. I, I realize, believe me, I realize this is deep in the weeds and it takes a little bit of a thinking to follow this, but when we remove legal protection for the unborn, we deviated from morality. And you are absolutely right about that. And what I want to do, because uh, part of this uh, podcast airs on radio stations, so we have to be uh, conscious of the time, yeah. is that uh, we're going to take a break. I'm going to do a close, but any listeners who want to stick with us and hear more of the conversation can go to Be The People News or America Out Loud podcast, and we're going to continue our discussion. But right now, we're going to take a break, and then uh, we're going to close a portion of this show, but we're going to continue our discussion. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's Word with miraculous results? There is such a book. Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesoardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm with my guest, Alex McFarland. We've had a very engaging discussion about a variety of issues. If you tuned in late, uh, we're going to continue our discussion on the Be The People podcast that you can find on BeThePeopleNews.com or the America Out Loud website. And so I'd like to thank you, uh, Alex, for sharing your ideas uh, with us uh, today. And I want to have you back on the show. Oh, well, thank you. That would be a great honor. I appreciate it. And uh, to my listeners out there, the charge is always the same. It's up to us, the we the people mentioned in the preamble of the Constitution, to stand up and be the people who reclaim our nation and our world. Uh, it's up to us. Uh, we have obligations. It's not the time to fall asleep or to give up. It's a time for battle. So until next time, be the people. Each week, the Be The People Show presents interviews with insightful guests from the world of politics, religion, media, and culture. The Be The People Show is on podcast. It offers bonus footage. To listen to Be The People online, 
go to the BeThePeopleNews.com website and subscribe to the Be The People podcast, heard also on the America Out Loud Network. Alex, you were talking about natural law before we went to break. Uh, What do you think our listeners need to know? Well, you know, when Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their creator, capital C, that's God, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, In 1973, we broke with 2,000 years of Western civilization. We broke with 200 years of America, and we said there no longer is a God-ordained right to life. Uh, Let me say, at the moment of conception, that's a human being, and that human being has rights. JFK, In January of 1961, when John F. Kennedy was being inaugurated, John F. Kennedy said, the rights of man come from the hand of God, not from the state. So nobody has the right legally to snuff out the life of the unborn. So how did we get around what we knew was wrong? Well, they said, well, it's a right to privacy. Now, of course, if we're going to be consistent, we would ask the question, So can I kill anybody as long as I do it in private? And of course, that's ludicrous. But my point being, Carol, uh, you know, if let's say you're trying to reconcile your checkbook and let's say uh, on one line item, you're you're off by one penny. That's not so bad if if you correct it, but you, you get down the line, you're off by a few dollars and couple of years later, you're off by $1,000. You have to go back and find out where you introduced the the math error, and you've got to reconcile and correct. And we have many, many errors nowadays. But I believe, uh, as as a teacher, and frankly, as a Christian who has prayed much about how to understand this, I think it began with our deviation from the moral truth we knew that murder is wrong. I would agree. And that slippery slope slope has led to a situation where we see the devaluation of the uh, life of the elderly, as well as we see, uh, you know, the sex selection abortions. We see euthanasia. We see people being encouraged. Uh, if they don't want to live anymore, they can get physician-assisted uh, suicide in certain places. So there's a total devaluation of human life that seems to accelerate the further and further we get away from our Judeo-Christian roots and values. And the more our society becomes more secular, then we see just a total disregard for the sacred. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, you know, I've got to say this. We're, We're to the point now that we hear the cry of social justice. Now, it's interesting for people today, the social justice warriors, SJWs, what they really mean is no boundaries, no accountability. You know, if you say homosexuality is wrong, God loves you, but you better repent or you're going to be in hell. They'll say, oh, you know, how dare you shame those people? That's socially unjust. 
if you say abortion is wrong, socially unjust. Okay, the phrase social justice comes from a man named Alexander Hamilton who wrote something called the Federalist Papers. Well, he wrote many of them. He didn't write all of them. And the Federalist Papers were really some essays uh, written to try and persuade the colonists to ratify the Constitution. And ultimately, I think it was just, um, they wrote these papers to try to persuade Connecticut to ratify the Constitution, but they were so good and informative and persuasive that they circulated up and down the, the whole Eastern seaboard. But Alexander Hamilton used the phrase social justice, meaning that we must have a society that agrees to live by a known moral foundation. And so it's 180 degrees opposite nowadays. The founders believed the only way we would have a socially just America is if we had a recognition of morals and the idea that those morals come from God. Well, we know that they, the Marxists turned everything upside down and oh, they yeah. have used social justice to their own ends. And it has made a tremendous impact into the churches because churches have allowed themselves to be shamed to the point that they look to the secular world to teach them how to deal with poverty and how to deal with uh, the racial issue rather than uh, turning to the word of God, which is truth, they look to the world to lead. And I think that that is a sad situation for our nation oh, and yeah. for the world. Um, let me dispel an objection that I'm sure your listeners will have heard. If you begin to talk about morals and you talk about God and you talk about truth and you talk about accountability, very quickly, the left and the cultural Marxists, and, and you were so right that there are cultural Marxists, but they'll say, ah, 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 the First Amendment. Uh, if you invoke God, ethics, morals, that violates the, the non establishment clause of the First Amendment. And so the, the founders, and by the way, the First Amendment was written by a man named Fisher Ames. And Fisher Ames, he wanted the Bible taught in all public schools. He said the Bible is the best vehicle to teach young people right and wrong. And I always ask this question when I lock horns with academics at universities, and they'll say, oh, you can't mention morals because of the First Amendment. And I, I said, how is it? Well, by the way, I'll ask professors, I'll say, okay, who wrote the First Amendment? I've yet to have a professor or student even know. Uh, and I'll say, how is it that 21st century socialists know more about the application of the First Amendment than the man who wrote the First Amendment? And so the idea that the government wouldn't establish any one religion that's been extrapolated nowadays really to mean the abolition of all moral boundaries. Certainly and, and so part of the reason that we're teetering on the brink of chaos is because um, the way they've worked to erase the old order and impose the new order is in the minds of many millions of citizens, there's been the abolition of knowledge of morality. Well, those are really strong uh, points. Uh, for people to ponder. And before we close, I'd like for you to tell our listeners uh, how they can get in contact with you, what you do, and about your website. And we will also post the information in the show description. 
Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, my website is just my name, Alex McFarland. And we're, we're on social media on Facebook, Rev Alex McFarland, R-E-V. And then uh, my books are on Amazon.com. Uh, the newest book, The Assault on America, is available at every Barnes and Noble throughout America. And uh, I do a lot of traveling. Uh, call out to me, folks. I'd love to come to your city, speak. We'll talk to your teens. I will go debate the local atheists in love. Uh, but call me. I'll come. <laughs> I would love to have you in person because uh, very soon in the next month, I'm launching a TV show of sorts called Conversations with Dr. Carol Swain, and uh, it'll be a talk show. And Well, I wish you much success. You, I, I love the way you think, the way you communicate, and I, I just hope everybody in America will tune in and watch what you have to say. Thank you so much. You'll be blessed, and we'll be in contact again soon. God bless you, my friend. Thank you.